Hey folks, welcome to episode 125 of the Becoming Human podcast, which features Ben Light. He's a running coach, public speaker, and entrepreneur. Ben has run over 10 200-mile trail races. He's running the Bigfoot 200, a point-to-point endurance run that goes through the rugged Cascades, starting from one volcano and ending near another. Ben did the Triple Crown, where he ran three 200-mile trail races in the span of three months. Whew. Ben has also run the Montane Spine Race, one of the gnarliest winter ultra-running events. It's a 268-mile race in the middle of UK's brutal win- winter, where he had to run through blizzards and insanely cold temperatures. I can tell that Ben has thought a lot about how he balances adventure and time spent with his family. It was really cool to be able to talk to him about how these kinds of adventures and and other um, goals that we set for ourselves and learn how it like how it affects our everyday life, you know, how we show up as a father you know, at work. Um, for our partners and for our friends and ultimately ourselves. If you'd like to check out Ben on Instagram, you can find him at ultralight007. Without any further ado, here's Ben. Routine do you look forward to in your day or week? What routine look forward to? <laughs> family time. I don't know. I like family time. Family first in my mind, but uh, I I definitely like uh, routine. Um, I'm not a I'm, a. I'm kind of a planner. I like to know what's coming up and kind of have a system and organize. I guess I'd organize my days. So obviously my runs. You know, when I start looking at the week ahead, I look at my work schedule. I look at uh, family schedule. And then the next thing on the list is my training schedule. And then after that, it's just fill in the times with other things. Do you enjoy um, having the opportunity to try to like to schedule a training schedule around there? Like I, I've noticed that I've had like a sense of security and sometimes like a sense of control not always, um, when I would start running and, and, you know, implementing a training plan. Like, it's really cool to think more in that goal orientated kind of way. And I think running, if you approach it that way, right. If you put out, put out a, a thought out training plan, um, can really take you down that road of, of being very goal orientated. Yeah. I'm very with that organizational skills. You know, I'm, I have a, I have my, I do, I do coaching myself for other runners, ultra runners and stuff. Um, and so I put together my own training plan. And then I also have a running coach that evaluates that we work together on my training plan. So if that makes sense. So, um, I actually particularly am right now working on speed. And so I have a running coach that is helping me increase my overall speed. And, um, and so we work together with my, with my training plan. So an answer to your question is, yeah, I, I have each week, each day, 
uh, goals that I'm going to do. And, and, you know, just like any, anybody that has life issue, you know, scenarios, you always have to be able to adjust, you know, nothing ever goes quite exactly as planned. So you just kind of like make adjustments as you go, you know, to a day or to a week, depending on what, what arises. Do you feel that, um, that running and setting out with those, you know, plans that it forces you or encourages you to confront that need to adjust more often? I think if you have a plan, it's easier to adjust. Um, because if you're planning your training and you're planning your work day and you're planning your family time, then you know where you can and can't adjust to. Um, if, if something arises and you need to make an adjustment, then, uh, if you're not aware of what needs to be done at work or what needs to be done, like what's the kids schedules and stuff like that, you're going to constantly trip over yourself and readjust and readjust and readjust because you will, you'll adjust and then figure out that you might've adjusted wrong and have to readjust again. So being, I mean, in my mind, being organized and, uh, knowing, you know, uh, what's going on in the day and in the week, it's just going to help you become more successful. And I think what you're always trying to do is minimize the potential of failure. And, and failure is not like totally like falling flat on your face, but failure is like just slipping up and messing up, you know, get, getting back up and, uh, missing a day or something like that. So if you can minimize it, you're going to have more successful days, um, than if you, just kind of throw throw your schedule into the wind and see where it lands. And have you had those days where you are not able to accomplish the things that you set out and you had to adjust it? Um, and what was your like language and your coping skills and your process in the face? Of <laughs> okay. We'll talk about this morning. <laughs> I, uh, I woke up to my alarm and uh, my body said, yeah, <laughs> not today. And, and I actually kind of listened to my body. So in this, in this, the same time I laid there, I said, well, can I adjust today to sleep in or to, 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 to not get up or do I need to push through it? Cause obviously I'm listening to my body. My body's tired. Cause usually you have a sense of how you get up in the morning and you can start going about the day and stuff. And you get up and you're like, Oh man, I am, I am tired. I, you know, I'm, I'm really tired. And you're like, am I going to do myself more or, you know, any good going out there this tired is my, my workout's going to suck. Am I going to hit my numbers? Is it going to affect everything? You know? So, I mean, and you do this in a, in a really quick flash and, you know, half awake. And I just kind of sat there and I went through the, I looked, I actually pulled up my calendar, looked at it really fast. And so I decided that I'm going to hit, um, a different style. Like yeah, I, was, I was still going for some vert today. So I just said, Oh, I'll just hit it on the way home. So I'm going to, uh, you know, check out and, uh, hit some vert on the, on the way home, a, a trail. And, uh, you know, I made sure that what the kids had going on this evening, what my wife had going on and, and ran it past her and put, closed my eyes <laughs> and went back to bed. That's, that's me. That's me adjusting. But if like, if it wouldn't have worked, then I probably would have just dragged myself <laughs> out of bed. <laughs> you know, and, uh, made, made myself go out there and you, you never know in the first half mile, I probably would have woke up just fine and PR'd or something. I don't know. 
How do you um, parse discipline and motivation? Um, wow, that's a good question. Uh, so I think motivation, if I'm, if I'm understanding the, quest, the question correctly, I think motivation has a bit of passion behind it. I'm motivated to do something. Dedication is like, I'm going to do it like kind of regardless. Um, it's like being consistent. Like some days you just don't feel like working out or some days you don't want to go for a run or some days, you know, and you, you, you're, you're dedicated and you do it. Um, motivation. I think there's like a, more of a passion or desire behind it. And you can still be motivated to accomplish a goal and still find yourself having to, you know, uh, just still be, go through that monotony of being consistent and not feeling the passion as much each, every time. But I think what overall in a motivation that's you're, you are motivated to accomplish something. You're motivated to achieve something. And is there, um, have you, in your experience, have you had at some point, um, seen like a difference uh or between like a time when you needed to be disciplined and a time where you needed to interpret the signals and respond accordingly to what your body needed like uh whether it's like fatigue for instance because it's often it can be a hard thing to be like you know exercise i, I just got to get up and put the shoes on or like do i really need to take a rest day i think that comes with experience i think i think when i was earlier in um training and everything like that. Um, you, you, sometimes you may or may not go out, let's say, but if you go out and all of a sudden, like I was saying, like I could have went out in, in the first mile and all of a sudden feel good and then get a PR. I, that's, that's happened. It's actually happened, but you there, I've also gone out and I'm like super toiled and, and, and tired and it was an awful run. And then you start to, pick up on the signals. Um, and I think that comes with experience, but you don't gain experience until you actually go out and push through it and find out if it's going to be a good day or if it's going to be a bad day. And go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, do you think that ability to interpret those signals, um, when you are experiencing those through, you know, through running, right. Or pushing yourself in these zones, um, or pushing through those feelings, do you think there's carryover to like everyday life? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, Oh man, trail running or ultra running, running any type of discipline type sport or activity that you have to, that you, you, you gain this self disciplined and self control of how much effort you put into it. You, you, you gain experience from that and you can adapt it into your daily life. Um, being successful in, at work, being successful at home, being successful with relationships with friends takes work. It takes experience and um, it takes that desire to, you know, uh, reevaluate yourself and make yourself better. So if you're making yourself better in your personal life or in your hobbies of ultra running or, uh, working out or a sport, it's going to, you know, it's going to bleed over into the, the other aspects of your life because of that self-discipline because you, it's, it starts to mold your character and mold you as a person. And do you, 
how do you s- distinguish um, sport or how does sport play a role in your lifestyle? And does it overlap with like your professional career or do you keep those separate? No, it, it, it has for me. Um, when I first got into, I've always been into like adventure. I've always been into uh, working out and fitness and um, they kind of came together when I learned about trail running. And, um, at that, that time I worked in the telecommunications industry and, um, and so my trail running was just a hobby and a passion. Um, a few years into, as I started to venture farther and farther distances, I ran into a situation with my work where, uh, I got let go because of a, uh, my company that I worked for got purchased and they did a, you know, a reduction in workforce. And at that time I started to look for another job, but then I also started to like said, Hey, I have an opportunity to, uh, venture out to do something different, you know? And uh, like, and I started to, you know, you only have so much time of the day and you, you want to not, when I would, um, train, I would sacrifice my personal time. So I was finding myself getting up at like three, four in the morning and being done with my running by seven so that I could get the kids off to school. Then I can head into work. You know, obviously you waking up that early, you're sending your kids to bed at eight o'clock and they don't know, they don't know any different, you know, (laughs) because I'm about to pass out, (laughs) but you know, like you start to structure your day a little bit differently. So, but when you increase your volume of running, especially with ultra running or saving, I'd even say triathlon is even more time consuming. Um, I've, I've done uh, an Ironman and I've, my wife's a triathlete and I know how much time do they need to dedicate to each of their uh, individual uh, 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 sports, I guess, swimming, biking, running. So you have to put it in so much time when you're training for an event. And I know I didn't want what what I'm where I'm getting to is is ultra running takes a bit of time it takes some time and and if I wanted to get better I felt that I needed to spend a little bit more time and if I could incorporate my work and my passion into one and and so that it opens up part of my work time my percentage of the day that spent work could be partly training because it is part of my work then it would allow me to increase my performance or, 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 and my training capacity, I guess you can say. And so that's kind of what I've done. Um, I've been very blessed to, to, it's a very hard road to go down when you, when you transition into a different, um, career field and stuff like that. And I've just kind of created my own, my own world, I guess, of bringing in a little bit of income and still loving what I'm doing. In, in the process of, of of going down that road, um, who who or what did you look to 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 learn how to create this lifestyle? Man, I so oh man, I don't know if I like anyone in particular or anything like that. I just I've always been an entrepreneur minded kind of person. I've business minded, and I've always just tried to like how can I understand that. Uh, you know, if, if you have a company, everybody's in business to, to make a profit and to make money, you know, you got to survive. If you're not profiting, you're not going to survive. And, uh, every individual is looking to make money to pay bills. You know, it's just, it's just the, the, 
way life, the cycle of life kind of a thing. So me as an individual, how can I bring a value to a brand or to an organization that is under that umbrella of an outdoor industry? And so there's different, and there's different ways. There's obviously marketing, there's sales and stuff like that. So I have a background in, in, uh, sales and in people management and stuff like that. I really didn't have a background in marketing, but I just kind of figured it out as I, I went, it's just really thinking out of the box. It's like, how can I add value to them and how can I bring a value to their product or and then also there's the importance of believing in the product. So aligning yourself with brands that you believed in. So you didn't have to like, you know, fake it or anything like that, you know, and plus it goes against who you are. It goes, it shows against you as integrity. It's like, I'm saying, Hey, I'm Ben light and I support, you know, I, I believe in this product. Well, you're putting your integrity on, you know, people, you know, trust you and stuff like that. So, um, I just kind of figured it out. I, I I kind of fell into it, you know, in a way. And I just, I, you know, I, I just offered my services. I, I volunteered, you know, like I, half the time you're working for free for a good while. And I just said, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll work your booth at a race expo or I will, uh, Hey, how about I help do an introduction between you and this other organization. I think, you know, if they're trying to collaborate and, and do a marketing plan, you just start to, and you start to build your network within this field of, of companies and race organizations. And so I do a, like, I do a variety of different things, but you try to think, how can I bring them value? How, if they pay me, are they going to get their money's worth in return? Are they going to make, that much money back and more because they, they need to, they need to get their, their money back for what they're spending on you. <laughs> and so it's, it's just a, a different way of thinking and everything and out of the box. Do you, do you like operating on those terms though, where it's like, there's no clear path forward. Um, there's some degree of uncertainty uh, and it's all up to, well, it's mostly up to you to like figure it out. You know, before ultra running and, um, I've always had that desire, but I never had the, I don't know, what, what is it? The, the guts or the, umption. the, the umption to, like, you know, it, uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, everybody, the, they want that security of a paycheck, you know, and stuff like that. But then you're operating every, no matter what, if you're in business for yourself or if you're working for someone, you still are, you know, slave to the master in, in a way. Cause you still have deadlines. You still have to meet quotas. You still have to, you know, if you don't go to work, you're not going to make any money. So regardless of, you know, when people are like, Oh, I want to work for myself or work for somebody else. It just, it comes with a level of risk, I guess you can say, and taking that risk. And I don't think before ultra running, I would take that. I would have took that risk. Um, in ultra running, it's just like towing the line of a 200 miler. There's a high risk involved. You know, uh, there's, there's a, you have 200 miles of, potential failure, you know, and, um, you start to learn how to navigate it and you start to like break it down. Like I, like I, you know, with what I'm doing now, maybe I don't know where my income's going to be in six months, mm -hmm. but like, I know where it's going to be in the next week or two. So I'm kind of focused in on the next week or two. You kind of look out into the horizon and you, um, you get an idea 
of like what the potential of income could be. And you start to plan for it and you start to think of ideas and it takes a while to formulate something and to put it into work and then to get the return investment. So you're always formulating, but just like a ultra running or just like running, you just think of just this mile. I'm going to focus on this mile. I'm not going to worry about all the 199 more miles in front of me. I'm just going to focus and do my best on this mile and work really hard. And then when you get done with that mile, you work on the next mile. So it's just milestone after milestone. And so you're focused on maybe um, project to project and uh, customer to customer and making sure that's successful. And, and, uh, and then, and then as things you start to get experience and things start to work out, you can start forecasting a little bit better based on, uh, the, the your network growing and stuff, something like COVID-19 what's going on right now, um, forces everybody to adjust. Like this is, this is a blind side for everybody, but there's still opportunities of adjusting and creating, uh, something, um, beneficial for both the brand and you as an individual. So there's still ways, but it's, it, it, it just takes a, a, a new way of thinking or, uh, to get creative, you know, and that's sometimes how a race is, you know, or, or, um, an event is sometimes you have to be creative in the middle of an event to figure out how you're going to get through a certain issue that you might be faced with. You know, and I think that's life, right? Cause like, um, the, the living notion of paradise, right. Is could argue is argued like it's only a moment, you know, yep. it's in those moments of the, like the alleviation of all of those obstacles and challenges that we had faced. And, you know, once you are in paradise, if you were to be in paradise eternally, at least, you know, on lot, on like the planet, right. O- over time, people tend to look for mischief, right. And people become complacent and you start to tolerate, you know, that level of paradise and it becomes, no- and you become desensitized to it, you know? Yeah. It'd be, it's, I don't know. It's like, uh, yeah, you, it, what, what becomes the normal, what you, be, what you become used to and stuff like that. So maybe it's a classification of living. If you look at third world countries to, you know, you hear about people going and doing volunteer work in a third world country and then they come home and they're like, we got so much stuff, you know, we got all this stuff, but before they left, it's like a teenager going, there's nothing to do like, Oh, I want this and I want that, you know, and then they go do service work and they come home. We're like, I'm just so happy. I have a car to get somewhere or like a telephone or internet or anything, you know, like a house with air conditioning. And all of a sudden you start looking because, but at first they, they oversee it. They, they look at what they, maybe they don't have instead of what they have. So it brings a different perspective. And that's, I think it's really good to come out of that perspective bubble and understand how much, you know, like to be grateful for what you have in your life, you know? And so, uh, and your glass is half full, not, you know, half empty. Mm-hmm. And I think having like a ritualized, um, a ritual that's like type two fun, right. Uh, or exposing yourself to other, you know, other cultures, but yeah. if you had a ritual of like type two fun, I feel like it, um, gives you the opportunity, a consistent, um, opportunity to be able to build that mindset, which seems to take so long to build, right. Or that, you know, character. I think in like everyday life, we, we can escape from, um, from, 
certain choices, right? And also like uh, behavior tendencies. Like, for, you know, for my own self, uh, one is like overindulgence. So if I have like almonds or cashews, right, I'm likely to eat like several ounces of them and I might not feel really good. However, with when I'm having like a consistent running routine, you know, I've learned to pay attention to those signals in my body, right? And like through my daily life, I could just like, point the finger at myself and tell myself, well, next time you better hide the nuts or you, you better <laughs> put them in two in a bunch of Ziploc bags so you could see all your portions and blah, blah, blah. But like, or I could just, you know, continue loving running. And cause I love to run, you, you know, I might want to get better at running or run for longer, run more comfortably. And because of that, I might want to look at my eating. And now i care more about running than like eating a thousand calories in like five minutes you know yeah um how much what percentage of your week do you do you usually spend running i know that schedule um with your training plans it fluctuates a lot i just you know mainly on average i right now it's between uh I'd say seven to 10 hours a, a week. Um, obviously it's low, lower right now. Everything's getting canceled and pushed out and stuff like that. I'm doing a build, uh, my, my next race that is still like, you know, on the books so far is Tahoe 200. And, um, uh, so I'm doing a, a new, I, I readjusted all my training programs for that and starting to rebuild. Cause, uh, Every, you know, no matter who you are, everybody is able to do a certain amount of volume, but you can only do high volume, whatever your high volume is, you can only do high volume for so long before it starts to actually take an opposite effect on the body. And, uh, you can slowly build that high volume and increase it. You know, you see a lot of people doing hundred mile weeks and stuff for me. Um, I try to stay in that 40 to 50 mile weeks right in there. That makes me at, you know, about nine 10 hours, I can do about that, that distance, um, depending on how much vert I'm in, interjecting, what the percentage of vert I'm interjecting into my training plan. Um, but, uh, uh, consistency is really big for me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I try to stay right around between no less than five, but if six days a week with one day rest and, um, I just, uh, lower the mileage on some days and increase the miles on other specific days. Um, but I stay right around that 10. When I start to get closer to, uh, an event and I start, you know, six weeks out, five weeks out, I start to have that bigger build and I'm closer to that 70 to 80, you know, miles a week. So, you, you know, you start to get up closer to 15 to, you know, 18 hours, uh, for that, for that week, de depending on how many double days and stuff like that, that I have. And has the, the time demand of your running, has it ever, um, caused problems in your, um, in your, in your life as a whole, or has it caused you like frustration or do you like getting to spend that much time running? Um, I would have to say right before an event, right when you're at your peak, uh, it doesn't cause frustration. You have to get very unique, very creative, um, trying to keep a balance. Cause I am a, I'm like, again, I'm going to come back to family. I don't like it when you don't want your family to suffer for this because so, and I, I, I talked to my, my clients, this is one of the first 
conversations I have with my clients going into says a lot of people come to me, Hey, this is my first 200 miler. This is my first hundred miler or even a 50 miler. And I usually about the hundred miler, you have this conversation with her. I'm like, look, okay. Um, this is 90% mental, 10% physical. The physical is going to tell you how fast you get the, the job done, get, you know, cross that finish line. The mental is going to decide if you're going to cross that finish line or you're not going to cross that finish line. And if things are going bad in your personal life and in your family life and in your work, those things, I mean, that stress level and that of uh, missing responsibilities and that imbalance in your life is only going to magnify itself in the middle of your run. So when you're 50 miles into a hundred mile run and things are going to go on sideways and you're trying to find the grit and determination to push through it. And that, that passion and that motivation. And you're like thinking to yourself, my family's falling apart. My wife's mad at me or my husband's mad at me for how much time I'm spending away. I'm not, I'm, I'm suffering at work. This project's suffering. And you start to, you start to run into stuff like that that will, that, that will put a nail in the coffin faster than, um, an Achilles that flares up and that you're limping for the next 50 miles. And, but you're happy and you're excited to see your family at the next aid station, or you're, you know, you're excited to cross that finish line and show your family what you did. If, I mean, it's, it's a mental outlook. And so I would rather go across the finish. I would rather go into a race underprepared physically, but happy and healthy than over like highest performance, but just my, my, you know, mental and family and, you know, my, my, my balance of my, my life out of balance. So, um, it, it's just, I, with the experience that I've had, I, uh, you know, the mentals plays such a huge part of, uh, really digging deep and, and pushing through hard things for being for myself being a nerd of like people's inner life, right? Like not the ability to win a jujitsu competition or rock climb really hard or, you know, get placed first in a race like the, uh, among all those other things, right? Like but the what goes on in, inside of you, like, you know, who you are, right? It's so cool in ultra running where you have so much time to like to go within that these things are like inevitable obstacles that you face. Like I've had so much time to sit within my own head and to like question even why I'm doing this and, and like my own uh, self-worth and self-image and internal value systems. Um and I really haven't gotten that from other things, but I, I suppose that's just because of how many hours you spend, you know, doing it. Well, I've, I've told people, I said, there's, I think next to running, like ultra running, I think the closest sport would be a, some type of meditation, yoga, or, uh, you know, because you get out there. Um, as long as, if, especially if you're doing it solo, doing it, not with a group, but you're in your own head. I mean, you're literally in your own head and you're thinking, and even if you have music going, you're still thinking about something and you're, um, and then when you start to do a climb or you start to hit a wall and you're starting to problem solve and work through it and you have like, like, or if you don't want to, you know, you're starting a run and you really don't feel good, but, or feel up to that run, but you're like, I got to do it anyways. You, you take this, you, you uh, self-disciplined and, um, uh, you override your feelings 
and you push through it. And so you start to learn. And I, I, I call it kind of like peeling away the human onion. And the more you digger you deep, the more you peel away that human onion and the more raw of a human you become and you get to really get to touch. So like, I'll tell somebody that's going to go out and pay somebody, um, the back half of a, you know, a hundred mile or a 200 mile. And I'm saying, you're going to actually see this raw individual, someone that you've probably never met before. You know, even though you're friends, you're going to see him at his raw state and, you know, hear things and, and, uh, uh, see things. And so it kind of like peels away that and see who they are on the inside, you know? And so, um, it, and I like it. I like that feeling. I, I like how I feel during when I get beat up and beat down in a race. I, my wife says I tend to become more, um, like more, more gratified or have more gratitude and stuff like that. And more, um, sincere and loving. I just, I guess if I, if I drink, I'd be a happy drunk instead of a sad drunk. <laughs> I don't drink, but, uh, you hear all like, are you a mad drunk, a happy drunk, sad drunk? It's kind of like it peels away that, uh, those layers of, and find out who you really are. I think ultra running does that too. when you start peeling away that, um, <clears throat> I was going to tell you, I, this is what I've been thinking about a lot lately in my ultra running and in, in my self-reflection is, and about life. Um, and I've been kind of posting it a little bit on my social media, but, uh, everything keeps coming back to me when I'm thinking about it is how we react as, as humans. And so like, if you think about a, a ultra run or you think about any type of sport, you're re you're reacting If baseball player, they're reacting to where the ball gets hit and how, how they, what they decide to do. If you're a boxer, you're reacting to the, the movement of your opponent or wrestling or, you know, football, the offense defense reacts, you know, as ultra runners, we react to the environment. We react to our physical, um, performance. If it hydration, nutrition, uh, we react, um, you know, if, you know, how hard we're going to push and how hard we're going to pull back or something. And so, and you look at that in training and, um, do I want to get up this morning and run? It's how I react. I have a re I get to choose. I have my freedom and my personal choice. And then you trans, you, you transfer that over into your personal life when maybe in interactions at work, you know, you react how, how much effort you want to put into something or at school, you react to what's being taught and how much in, you know, your assignments and, uh, your grades, you, you react to, um, it's basically you taking ownership. And so, and when we interact with each other in the world, it's, it's how we react. Like say social media, some people get offended about something. Well, that effect, that being offended is actually a reaction and they control their reaction. We control like what we put on social media, but other people control what, how they react to it. Um, and that, that, you know, just using it as an example and with COVID-19 and everything like that, we, we, we choose how we react. Are we going to stay home? Are we going to wash our hands? It's, it's how we react. You know, like, you know, are we going to help our neighbor out? Are we going to like, there's so many things, but the whole, 
I, I, I'm looking, I'm trying to like zoom out of my own life and go, I have, I can't control how other people react, but I can control how I react. I have control of myself. I can't even control how my wife or my kids are going to react, but I can, I have full control of how I react. And so with self-discipline in my sport, self-discipline in my work and my, and in my personal lives and my family. And so it's, I, I have to, I have to own me and I have to react to me. And um, I'm starting to communicate this to some of my, my uh, people that I, I coach is like, look, you can only control you and how you react to the training schedule, to your nutrition. If you want to figure this out, how, however, however well you want to do at your competition, at your uh, event is based on how you react now and what you do up to that point. Each day you have a chance to react positively or negatively towards your goal. And it's, so it's totally your decision if you're, you know, when you get there, if you're prepared or not. And so, and you can just, you know, your listeners can just take that and, um, you know, find a different aspect in their life and just say, I own how I react. You know, I have my free agency of how I react. And, um, I think, I think once you start to become in tune to that and that, you know, self-reflection, like if I want to get better at something, if I want to get smarter, if I want to get fat, uh, uh, more talented at, a, you know, playing the piano, it's, it's up to me to react, you know, and to make that happen. It's not, a, it's not, it's not for anyone else to give that to me. It's up to, for me. And I don't know, I've been, that's what I've been actually thinking about a lot on my runs lately and trying to pull that thought process into my daily lives on how I react to my kids or how I react at work. How do I react in my, you know, just social, you know, life. It's so cool. Cause like I'm in a learning about something similar in ways to derive personal power, um, from this, my predicaments that I find myself in by using like language and then also, um, thought patterns, right? Like if you were to, in a, I'm reading a book, it's like, um, Oh, I forgot what it was called, what it was called, but it's about it's for rock climbing mm-hmm. and it's uh, it draws a lot from um, anyway for <laughs> it. You'll look at like a route when you're climbing. Right. And it deals yeah. with like this, the psychological aspects of rock climbing and all of the, the personal narratives that we have that um, impede our performance and our abilities, um, specifically like not trying things because you're afraid to fall. Uh, yeah. But you're set up so you're designed it's designed to fall you're supposed to be able to take falls and that's part of it but a lot of people are apprehensive of that and so in the book that i was reading you would look at uh they put one example where you're looking at like a 15 foot section above you and you have like 50 feet of air beneath of you um everything's safe right standard protection you're clipped into the mountain if you fall you just take a fall on the rope um and something that is that can happen is, is you look and you say, wow, that next 15 feet looks like it's smooth. I don't see anything. That's impossible. And when you're doing that, when you say things like that with a statement, when you encounter this yeah. obstacle and you put out a statement, you're, you, it's self-limiting. You don't give yourself the personal power to take responsibility of the, the predicament and to be able to move through it. Your mind is focusing 
like a flashlight in a dark room on the things that you cannot do. And by nature of that, you're not observing the things that you can do. And if you change subtle patterns of language and you're to say, wow, that looks smooth. I wonder if there's any pockets or shadows that I can see so I can find places to put my feet. And that that subtle process has been shown to just completely restructure your thinking because now your awareness is put into a statement or state of curiosity in looking instead of already coming with the conclusion. Right. And that changes like the whole way we perceive things. And I would imagine if you're like if you're running and your stomach's getting really upset whatever kind of um, thought processes that that go on inside of your head and how you focus your attention is very much going to alter your experience. Oh yeah. It's like, um, Oh, my stomach's getting upset. Why is it getting upset? You know, like I've been, and then also, well, I've been here before I've gotten through it before, you know? So what do we need to do? What did I learn last time? What do we need to do? Did, did I, when's the last time I ate? When's the last time I drank? When, you know, do I need to stretch? Is it my muscles or is it actually my, my gut, you know? And so, yeah, there's, but if you're like, but if you automatically go, Oh, my stomach's hurting, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to quit. Or that means this is going to happen and that I'm going to quit. And, Oh, and then this is going to happen. You start to, you're almost like you're putting it out there, not just in the universe, but in your body. And there's a lot of triggers within your body and your brain to start making things happen that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't started thinking about it kind of a thing. And it's just a, it's entirely, uh, different, um, perspective of of thinking. My wife, I'd have to say my wife is even better at, at, uh, that positive thinking, that critical positive thinking than I am. Like, um, she's, she, she's just, she blows me away some of the times that she brings things up and she's just like, okay, well, what do we need to, to do to work through that? You know, instead of, you know, it's like, it's just like, Oh man, I love you so much to, that you'd even say that and not freak out or something like that. So do you like bouncing um, ideas off of your wife? Oh yeah. So my wife's my best friend, my wife, like, like I know that you're this COVID-19, a lot of uh, couples are now spending a lot more time together and you start to hear little vents and this, and I'm like, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like (laughs) we, so, you know, I was married for 15 years prior and went through a divorce and then uh, met my current wife, Brittany. And, uh, and it's, I I've seen one side one perspective of a, of a marriage and, and this, and so I'm very, th- I know what I have. Every, anybody that knows me and, and Brittany, like is, you know, they just, I, I don't know. We're, we're, we always, we have a saying we're, we're adorable, gross. <laughs> <laughs> because, I don't know. She's, I just, I, I, I look forward every day. You know, if I'm, if I'm in the office and not at home working, I look forward to the minute I can get home, you know, um, she's actually my bit, my, my biggest Achilles heel. If I miss a workout, it's probably because I wanted to spend more time with her oh, rather, oh. rather than go, go run. And so that's pretty, it says a lot too, because there's a lot of adventures I've skipped with friends, you know, getting out and exploring because I just didn't want to leave, leave her for that long kind of a thing. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a unique situation. So I feel blessed. So you said that you, you value um, time with your family above 
most other things, right? Or oh, everything. Yeah, it's my it's my number one. How how has that um, informed you when you're designing your lifestyle and prioritize like work and training? Um, I mean, obviously, I change i I make sure that all the needs of my families are are my family is met. Um, uh, and then I try to involve them like the majority of my foreign races. I, I try to make sure that Brittany can come with me, you know, and experience it and be there. Um, there, she hasn't been able to come to every one of them, but, um, to most of them. And then, uh, local races, we try to figure out a way to make sure my kids are able to attend in some way so they can feel a part of it. Um, my first 200, I crossed the finish line with all three of my kids, hand in hand. And, uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter paced me the last, uh, about 15 miles, 17, oh, 17 cool. miles. Um, I've had my wife pace me 50 miles of a 200. We've ran 50 miles together. We are, we did an Ironman together for our anniversary or for our honeymoon. Aww. Um, and then just the, the only thing sad is like, I think a lot of vacations are kind of <laughs> kind of, uh, planned around races. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it's like kind of like a racecation. It's like, Hey kids, we're going to the cascades. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to camp for four days and why daddy runs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's, you know, like, um, I got to be a little bit better. Like, Hey, uh, and, I, and I'm trying to do that with this whole, like, I'm, I'm waiting for things to open back up and I'm like, maybe we should hurry up and hit Disneyland the minute it opens back up. Cause we've been probably missing taking the kids to Disneyland, you know, and instead of going to Antelope Canyon or the Grand Canyon or going to places like the Tetons so that we can adventure and, have a family vacation at the same time. So try it's to a, ba balance it. It's a cool lens though, to explore different wilderness areas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. That's so that's probably why I fell in love with ultra running. Cause one, I mean, I, people go, Oh man, you run two, 300 miles. You must really love running. I'm like, no, nah, not really. I think a person <laughs> that loves running will run anywhere, anytime on any surface. And, uh, I, I'm kind of a running snob. Like I have to make myself go run road. Um, I don't like asphalt. I do, I mean, everybody's like, Hey, you want to run bad water? I'm like, dude, that's like all on road. That does not sound fun at all. That's you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, maybe until you get to Mount Whitney, you know, like, <laughs> you know, that'd be a lot better. But like, I mean, maybe I have a buddy that Ray, he, he runs through the entire you know, death Valley desert, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'd probably rather do that than run on the asphalt, you know, yeah. you know, in death Valley. But anyways, like, um, I like adventure. I like that feeling of going over from one peak to the next or looking at a mountain and saying, Oh yeah, by tonight I'm going to be there. Or, um, you know, Bigfoot 200 is just so epic. You run around, um, Mount St. Helens. And then you go up through the cascades and you get almost really close to the base of Mount Rainier. Uh, meanwhile, you get really close to Mount Adams as well. So like over the two, three days that you're running, you can look, you know, you hit a, another like high peak and you look back and you're like in, you know, Mount St. Helens is now like way, way far away. And you're like, I was on the other side of that yesterday. 
And now I'm over here by, you know, Mount Adams or Mount Rainier. And you're like, and I did that all on my own two feet, my own effort. And, and you're just like, you know, it's that self-accomplishment and that, you know, you get self-confidence that you get in yourself. Is that sense of travel or that sense of travel is, is my favorite that I've experienced? Because yeah, when I was running in school, we were doing like track workouts for football. Yeah. And oh, I, I hated it. I thought running was like the most terrible thing. Oh, yeah. That just I could ever be asked to do. And I didn't know why anyone would want to do it. Like, and, and then when I got older, moved to Washington, and I was um, getting into backpacking. A lot more because I realized that there's like glaciers here and just you know volcanoes and I was like whoa the wilderness is actually really cool and I was going to go and plan for a three-day backpacking trip and I was reading a recent trip report and it was this like powerful woman who just ran the whole thing and then rode a bike that she stashed a hundred miles back to her car on the road. And I was like, what in one day, that sounds like an awesome adventure. And from then I was just, I was hooked. Yeah. You're like, I wonder if I can do that. That's what you yeah. say. I wonder if I can do that, you know? And you're like, and it's those people that, you know, obviously got to have a passion and a, and a, and a drive to, to actually do it, you know, I just tell people, if you have a desire to do something, what's preventing you from doing it and, you know, start figuring out how to get it done and, and do it, you know, don't just start, you know, you'll figure it out on the way. It, and that's what like, it, it seems is if it's hard to start something, just break it down even further. It's what you mentioned earlier about like those incremental milestones, right? Like yeah. when people ask me, you know, oh, I want to get into yoga. Like, what's your advice? I'm like, find a 10 minute video and, and try to do that like three days a week and go from there. They're like, Oh, I could do like a half hour and hour. no, try the 10 minute video and go from there. And you know, if you like it and you know, go more just with the expectation of something really small and, you know, it feels even better because if you can break it down, those small wins will or the wins will be in greater frequency and then you would be satisfied more often. Right. Instead yeah. of beating yourself up because you didn't attain that goal. Yeah. So uh, could you just tell the story of, of what it's like to run a, a 200 plus mile race? <laughs> <laughs> every every. So I have towed the line of I think I'm at 12 or 13 200 plus milers and I've completed nine of them so you know I have my and every one of them is unique and every one of them was different every time like and so there's some that threw a curveball where I wasn't able to uh prevent something from happening and and you know, it caused me to to to, to fail if you want to say it or, or, uh, to, you know, not, not, not complete it. Um, but n nine out of those 12 times I was able to adjust and figure out the, the issue and push through. <clears throat> so what I, I would say, so if, if I was telling somebody, I'd say, okay, if, you know, when you're running the 200 miles, the first thing that you're going to want to do is obviously be prepared. Make sure you've gone through it, break it down. Like make sure you know the route and know what's coming. Um, don't go into it blind. I think I've had been more successful going into something prepared and having it, 
planned out than just showing up and going, you know, completely. I, a lot of people use the word organic on some of the, on some things. And I, I use that as ill-prepared <laughs> as, like, <laughs> as it's like organic means you don't know what's, you know, it's, it's like you're just prepared. Just I'd, you'd better be over-prepared than under-prepared. And so when you start off, start off, um, not necessarily slower, but with the whole, when you start with the bigger picture in mind, I've watched too many people running 200 miles and they start off and they run it. They run the first 50 miles, like they're running a 50 miler instead of, you know, running it like a 200 miler and, you know, muscles don't necessarily recover. They, they, they'll hit a breakdown point, but they won't necessarily recover while you're running. So it, depending on how hard you burn them up at the beginning, you're going to have to, those same burned up muscles are going to have to take you the rest of the way. So you'll watch, you know, three sub three hour marathoners at a beginning of a, a 200 miler and they're like laying down really fast times, but then they're walking that second hundred miles, you know, and they're just toast and their brains are toast that you just can't refill all that glycogen that you burned up and the muscle tear on. So my first thing is to always pace yourself going out the very first, try to run it with the end in mind. So, um, and then, uh, the biggest thing is feet. Feet can be the, one of the biggest physical um, factors of someone quitting, not taking care of their feet. Um, if you start to feel a hot spot, you know, just like in hiking, you might've experienced the minute you start to feel a grain of sand in your shoe, either get that grain of sand out or fix that blister. Cause a lot of times people think it's a grain of sand, but it's actually a blister that's starting to form. Um, feet are so important. So, you know, proper footwear that fits you. It has nothing to do with any brand specific it's what fits your foot and the proper socks the proper you know lubricant on your feet um there's so many great brands it's just you know you pick the one that works for you and then um i'm a big advocate about uh your body is like a like a pellet stove treat your body like a pellet stove and not like a just a fireplace like don't throw a log on a small burning fire. So basically your stomach, you know, keep, keep trickle feeding in the nutrition slowly throughout the entire process. And don't just go, let your stomach empty, go hungry, and then throw in a big old log, like a, like a big old bar or something like that. That's a fast way to get your stomach to, to get upset. Um, just trickle in that nutrition. And then, uh, it comes down into the, your, your head game is, break it down. Like we talked about from aid station, aid station. That's what I'll tell my, my, um, people I coach and is you're just running to the next, your race is just to the next aid station. And when you get to the next aid station, we'll reset and your race is just to the next aid station. So if your aid station is 15 miles away, you're only running 15 miles. Don't think about, don't count down your miles. Don't think about the rest of the race you know, don't let it overwhelm you. You can think about it, but don't let it overwhelm you. And, um, once you get to that 15 miles, you know, exactly what you need to do, refuel, get whatever you need to do. And then you go, Oh, the next one's 18 miles and it's this much vert and this much descent. Okay. It's going to take me, you know, I've 
if you plan ahead and you know your pace, you're saying, okay, I should be there in like four and a half hours. And then you look at the time and if it's two in the afternoon, you go, okay, six 30, you know, that's my goal. I, I I'm only focused on these 18 miles in four and a half hours. And so, and you're watching your watch. And so I set up my watch to just count down the miles for that one segment. And I set it up to, it says when my ETA is going to be there and then what time it is. And I'll start to play a game with myself to say, Hmm, I'm supposed to be there at six 30. I wonder if I can get there at six 15, you know, like, and I just start to play. I just start to focus in on this segment as this one race and when I accomplish it, I start, as I get close to there, I go, okay, I'd like to be out of that aid station in five minutes. This is what I need to do. I need to get this, 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 this is what I need and stuff like that. And so when I come in, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of throwing out some demands to, to my crew or to my wife or whatever and saying, this is what I need. And then they, they get it and, and I keep watching my watch and then I go. And it's like, I, I compartmentalize the goals. And I just achieve them one at a time. And before I know it, I'm across the finish line, you know, and if I stayed with the plan and if my plan was prepared properly, I probably either am on time ahead of time or just slightly behind time. But I'm not like, like all, you know, like just organically in the wind trying to, trying to figure this thing out. And in between the aid stations, uh, what is it, what are your thoughts look like? What does your attention look like? Oh man, they're, they're all over the place. They're all over the place. Like sometimes it's like, if I have another rock, if I, if I hit my toe on another rock, I'm going to, you know, or, or then sometimes you feel great and you're like, man, that wind on my, my sweaty back just feels amazing. Oh my gosh. And then sometimes you're like, like, Oh, if I, if, if this trail gets any closer to that lake, I am going to stop and go swimming. Like, <laughs> like, like I'm making a bet with myself. If it, if it gets close to a lake, I'm going swimming. I'm going to go take a dip or something like that. I mean, there's different things. And, uh, nighttime is where people's mind really starts to play tricks on them. Um, what I usually like to do is save my music for nighttime. So I'll pop my phone on on speakerphone and throw throw a playlist on that I put together. Um, sometimes motivational, sometimes relaxing, uh, sometimes I you know classical music or something like that. Uh, but when I really need help, um, I throw on uh, comedy. I'll throw out stand up comedy. So I'll do like a Jim Gaffigan, or I'll get like Fluffy, or I'll get just yeah. a, a variety of different people and. Um, throw it on. And all of a sudden I'm starting to find myself laughing and thinking about what they're talking about and humor and laughter and a positive attitude provides energy to the soul. And I'll find myself running, you know, before, if, if you were just stuck in a, in a, in a bad place. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm going to have to use that. Cause I, Cause I love being able to infuse humor into those, you know, harder times, even with my, when my son, if he's having like a hard time, I'll try to find a way to like play with him and laugh, you know? And yeah. It, yeah. It, it, and it's different for everybody. Like when I pay somebody, I've, I've thrown on my comedy stand up comedy for them and, uh, they, they won't have it. You know, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's like almost like they're such in a bad place or something that they don't even want to even hear it. So everybody's a little bit different. So it's kind of like finding your own, 
you know, finding your own, what's, what's your motivator. I have a buddy, Mike, he'll throw on some pretty heavy, heavy metal music that would, uh, to me, it's just kind of noise, but mm-hmm. I can't keep up with him when he gets the heavy metal music in his, in his ear. He's just off like a rocket. Wow. So, <laughs> and it's cool. Cause it's, once again, it just seems like, uh, you know, running in, I've seen other sports as well, been like a vehicle, um, to, to get to know yourself. Right. Oh yeah. Yep. Exactly. How, um, how does time pass when you're running, especially on those longer runs? Um, if you're in a bad place, it can pass really slow. Um, if you're in a good place, it can pass really fast. Um, some of the slowest time I, my, my Wasatch Tahoe project that I did with the 300 miles right towards the end, I was running. I mean, I'm, I'm roughly hitting 300 miles on about, um, four hours of sleep total over, uh, four days. And, um, and it was dark and, uh, I was on a steep climb on the backside and, you know, you're tired. You know, it's almost over, but like my, my, the melatonin levels, you know, within my brain were pretty thick at that time. Um, they, they build each night. And so, uh, it, yeah, it might, my, I think my thought process was pretty negative. I guess you could say at some points in time, even though I was knew I was so close, it was just like a, my brain hurt. And so I swear I looked down a couple of times to my watch and mileage was going backwards. Time was standing still. Oh. And it, you know, you know, you, you've gone, you know, like, man, I just, I, I must've climbed a thousand feet and you look at your vert and you're only gone up a, a maybe 500 at the most. And you're just like, what is the deal? And it's just, you know, it's where it's tearing on you. I think sleep can make time stand still like sleep deprivation. And so it all depends on what part of the race you're in. If, if time is flying or if time is standing still. Wow. And, um, what's the spinner race? Uh, spine spine what's the spine race so the spine race oh man that's a it's a medieval race holy cow <laughs> <laughs> so the spine so in the uk it's a, it's a uk race it's called britain's most brutal race it's uh the spine is the winter version of this race they have a they have a fusion in the summer and then a spine in the in the winter and it's a it's an historic route it's like a, a historic um route through the uk that that's 268 miles long. It ends up in Scotland, just over the, over the border of Scotland. And it kind of ventures through all their mountainy peak districts. And, um, and they just do it in the winter time when, you know, it's a, it's a frequently hiked. It's kind of like the Appalachian trail, you know, not obviously not as long, but a shorter version of the Appalachian trail. But like in the summertime, it's like tons of backpackers, tons of hikers, day hikers, does it go through the Scottish National Trail at all? No, oh. no, no. This one just barely goes over. It goes like along Hadrian's Wall, and it just barely goes over um, through the, the Shevets, 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 and then um, ends at Kirk Kirkheim or Kirkenda. Uh, I can't pronounce the name, but um, yeah. So it's two hundred sixty-eight miles long. So in the winter time, no one usually ventures out on it. So they're I, some some sick individual said, let's see if we can get a bunch of people to run the whole 268 miles 
in the winter. And, uh, I've done it twice. Uh, that's one of the one, the first year is the one of the ones that I, uh, uh, wasn't successful at. I got to mile 200, only had 68 miles to go, but made a lot of mistakes. I actually, I went, when I say don't go in, not planned, I didn't go in as, as planned as I should have. And, um, and I learned a lot and I went back and the next year I was successful in even worse conditions. And so, you know, so, but you learn, you know, you just, you know, you take what you, what you learned and you, you adjust and, and correct it and you come out successful after that. But yeah, it's, it's a brutal, brutal race. Um, and it's, it, every year the race is different just because of the weather. The weather is the factor. The, the course doesn't change, but the course changes based on the weather. So the first year, the first 25 miles, I was going through flooding and, um, I mean like literally going through water to my waist. Um, oh. it's all self-navigated. So you have to have a GPS and map and compass and all that stuff. And so, uh, everything's covered up with water or ice or snow. And so you you can't find the trail and you're just kind of navigating it through, um, I mean, I almost saw a guy get swept over a waterfall. It was, it was oh. brutal. It was brutal. Um, the second year when I went back, they had the worst storm in, the, in 30 years and, uh, about 200 of the 268 miles was in knee plus deep snow and blizzard, oh. blizzard conditions. And you can see more than four or five feet in front of you. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. It is the only time in my life that I thought I could possibly possibly die because uh, of a, the storm and the blizzard in the middle of the night and knowing that, you know, their search and rescue would be able to get to you because of how severe it was. Oh my God. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting race, but they've had years where it's been pretty decent weather and everybody's been able to put down decent times. And then there's some years that it's really bad weather and epic mud, epic snow, epic rain. I can't imagine good weather in, in the UK. So. <laughs> does, does the barring the, the, the threat of death that is, but does good weather or does the bad weather excite you or make you feel like concerned and worried? Actually it excites me. Yeah. I'm not as, I'm not the fastest. I'm, I'm getting faster and faster as an ultra runner. Um, but when it, when it comes to weather, I think it starts to make the, the playing field a lot more even because I think some fast people, what fast people have to overcome is the fact of going slow. Mm. If um, going slow is a mental to grind, when you're, when you're a fast person, when you, when this section should have only taken me four hours and it took me eight, that's, that's a, that's a heavy toll on your mind, you know, and you're consuming more food and you got to plan differently. You have to adjust. And and then it comes down to gear, like fast people want to go light and fast. They don't want to take a lot of heavy gear. And so sometimes fast people are, are more ill prepared for worse weather. So, um, you know, and that, and that, that, and I say that lightly because you could have, you know, you have experienced fast people that, that are prepared for bad weather as well. But from a, from a mental standpoint, I get, you know, if it starts raining and I've been in lightning, I've been rain, I've been in snow and you're just like, Hey, you know, I, it almost gives me something to look forward to. Or something to like, I'm, I'm excited that it's worse heat. Now heat is a different story. So like <laughs> if, if the wet weather has a, 
poor effect on one performing athlete um, other than me, it's the heat. So if all of a sudden it's clear skies, stale air, no wind, and just burning, burning heat, that's a, that, that'll be a mental, cause you can only take off so much clothes, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and I consume more water. I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I sweat more than the average person. And so with that, you have to take in more water and you have to carry more. And it's just a, it's a, it's a domino effect, you know? It's, it's cool to hear that. Cause like I can, you know, really relate to you and I'm relating to more runners that I meet in the sense that, if I, I notice if I'm doing like any kind of, you know, uh, trail run, the time that the things that I look forward to are when the trail is either really technical, there's some exposure, right? Or uh, route finding might be trouble, um, or there's a fun boulder field to hop across, a, a river to ford, um, and all like the, the flat and open stuff, albeit it would be beautiful, is like kind of mentally harder for me. And yeah. I, I was like, huh. And I don't think I'm like a runner, like what I thought a runner would be. And, you know, it took me a long time to, you know, learn and find people whose motivations were a little different and uh, find my own, um, what do you call it, like aim or progression through it, you know, where now I'm like seeking more um, adventurous kinds of routes and learning to move on different kind of technical terrain. Yeah. You need to go do the Bigfoot 200. I'm telling you. Yeah, I, I did the uh, the Bigfoot, uh, I think it was like the 40 or the 50K. I did oh, the 100K and then I dropped from that. It dropped down, did like the 47 miles. And um, after that, though, I was planning this year, hopefully everything goes as planned, to volunteer for the Bigfoot 200 yeah, just to yeah. kind of scope it out. And because that's what I want to do really bad because it's like it's not that it's not about time as much and it doesn't really have to be for me. And it's more about like getting to the end and having that whole experience and like, and that just, that suits me. And that really excites me. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And don't even worry about running a hundred miles before it, you know, especially if you're there for the adventure and stuff like that. Um, it honestly, that's, that is the best race of the series, even though I've done Tahoe, this will be my fifth time doing Tahoe. Um, I've been to Bigfoot every year. I've paced it, crewed it, and then ran it also. And so by far, Bigfoot's the wildest. It's the most expo exposure as in like uh, uh, cliffs and routes and technical terrain and climbing. You're always either going up or down. There's very little like flat. There's a ton of single track. You know, like it's 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 just it's what you think of when you think of just the gnarly, 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 uh, ultra race and oh. Tahoe's great. It's, it's really pretty, but you're, you're in it, you're crossing streets, you know, you know, every, every, uh, you know, you got a lot of different highways that feed in and out. I mean, it's not, you, not, there's not a lot of road. There's, there is a couple different road sections where they have to use it to link from one trail to another. But I mean, there's a lot of single track, but it's like well-kept trail. You know, you got ta the Tahoe Rim Trail, which is really highly trafficked and well-kept. And, and it's, it's a very running, runnable, but vert race, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then, you know, uh, Moab is in that as Moab is, has its own beauty. It's deserty, but there's a lot of running. There's a, and there is a lot of sand. And then, um, but then you have the La Salles, which are just freaking rad. 
um, towards the end, but that's like at the end. So you, you're like super happy to get to vert- vertical climbs at the end. Yeah. <laughs> By the time you get to the cells, you're like, oh my gosh, an aspen tree. I can, I love this. And it's not like sagebrush and like red, red, uh, uh, sandstone type stuff, slick rock. Um, but yeah, like, dude. And if you, did I hear that you're up in Washington? Yeah, I'm up in Washington. Yeah, so it's like right in your back door, you know, like backyard right there. It's, it's, oh my gosh, like that's, uh, that's the best race. Yeah, that, that makes me so stoked, man. And I appreciate it, Ben. Yeah. And that's the thing is, I think there's something in Utah that I wanted to check out. It's the Wassel or the Wasatch, where it's like, the, the, it's like a big ridge where it's like three miles up and all ridge and then three miles down or something. So it's called the Whirl. The Whirl. Yeah. The Whirl. It's the Wasatch Ultimate Link Up. Uh, Ultimate Whirl. Uh, link. Yeah. Link Up or something like that. So it's called the Whirl. And um, yeah, it's basically Little and Big Cottonwood Canyon. Um, you got the ridge line that uh wraps around like a u and so you climb from the valley floor up you get on the ridge line you stay the ridge line all the way around like a like a u and then basically hitting a lot of the uh, high peaks and uh then coming down their side it's serious it's it's uh yeah it's definitely one i tell you know like i've been on most the majority not all at once i've never done the world in one shot but i've been on the different ridges the majority of it and you yeah it sounds like you talk about climbing a lot so you're you're a climber so i i wouldn't suggest it to anybody without any climbing background well that's where i spend my time uh rock climbing i'll keep it brief too to be respectful of your time but i spend a lot of my time rock climbing and trail running and sometimes they're um they can contradict one another in the sense that I'll be having such a fun time rock climbing. And then I want to go and do these ultra runs and like ride around that time. It's like, what do you really want to do, man? Cause like you said, you only have, you know, so much time. Um, and, and that's where I have to look at my, like my life as a whole. Cause you know, if I, yeah. if I like these things, like they don't have to be mutually exclusive, I think. Cause like, if I, if my goal were to be a competitive, uh, like ultra runner or even like marathon runner and try to be placed in like first in races, if that mattered to me, then I definitely need to be calling my priorities into question and looking at eliminating things. But for me, like I, I'm getting this feeling as I've, you know, been um, getting more into running that like there's certain qualities of running that I like. And like if to do a 200 miler, that doesn't have to be like my whole entire life to commit yeah. to that but it could be a big part of it. And I think they feed into one another if I look at it. And like, just like you professionally have been trying to push those, what I do professionally under the umbrella of what I like to do recreationally. And it's like, well, if I just move more into the outdoor industry, like I think all these things can kind of work together. You know, I don't have to like be a hyper vigilant specialist in like one thing, but you know, I can look at how I can combine these things um, that work for me now, you know, as a father, like I have to adjust, just like you said, I love like ultra running. I love, you know, climbing and martial arts and, and designing, but like as a father, like I have to adjust my lifestyle around that. And I can't like just force my way into this lifestyle. Cause that'll contradict who I want to be as a father and also vice versa, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But 
it's people like you, Ben, who really help <laughs> me out and inspire me to, uh, to push forward and look at my priorities and pursue the things that I want. And I appreciate that, man. Hey, no problem. We're just, you know, I'm just a normal person just trying to figure it out myself. <laughs> <laughs> is there uh anywhere that people can learn more about you ben and uh follow you on social media i think the number one the easiest is obviously instagram uh ultra light uh 007 um uh my i i, I don't have a business i mean i don't do my I can't. So I always just say, just go to Instagram and then, um, that's the easiest, you know, just follow me there. I'll be sure to leave that in the, the link to that in the show notes. And are you going to grow the beard back eventually? <laughs> <laughs> My wife is enjoying the, uh, the clean look for now. And she, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I miss it. I, yeah. I did a post just the other day and I was just like, that was the perfect length right there. Yeah. It was, it was a quarantine type thing, you know, like, Oh, my, my, my barber, I have a, I have a stylist barber that's like closed down and, you know, like it just the products and everything. And I, you know, I, I, it's funny. People don't realize it, but if you have well-kept beard, if someone's, you know, it could, it was running me about a hundred and hundred to hundred and fifty dollars a month. Yeah. You know, that's like, I realized that in quarantine too, I'm like, Oh, this is a lot of work to keep up this beard. And then <laughs> I just shaved it all and kept the mustache. But then, man, it's been like years since I've shaved. And like a few days later, I'm like, Oh, I gotta shave again. <laughs> I had a yes. Yesterday. I got so frustrated with my iPhone because I have it on the uh, face ID type, unlock the screen. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, ever since I shaved, all my face ID apps and my phone won't unlock because it's not me. <laughs> and so I had to go back into my settings and reset it and reprogram it to my, my new face without. Yeah. It. And so now it unlocks now. So I don't, as like, I was getting pretty irritated, irritated with that. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you very much for, uh, hey, for thanks, for, today, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you want to check out more of Ben, you can check him out on um, Instagram at ultralight007. If you'd like to support the show, you can head over to becomingHumanPodcast.com and share it with a friend. I hope you all are staying safe out there. And I hope you enjoy your week. Bye. We don't need no walkie-talkies, no, no walkie-talkies. We don't need your coffee when I'm in the morning coffee now. We don't need no walkie-talkies, no, no walkie-talkies. We just want our opportunity to stand and go with you. And the last shall be, first two marks and I pass out heat. Facing them up with a moxie melt. They woke up drowning in Chalky Hell. Or in a cave with a torch on the wall. And a window arrangement of porcelain dolls on a brand new day. It's already saw Property owners who call the mall. With a bad toupee and a face like you offer the law. Face like you're mourning a loss. Right hand on a can of worms. Left full of gold, he will trade the turf. I mean, that's okay. You got an answer to you with the end of the bottle of day. But a model of mercy and might no way. Mary and Ed will clap no way. Look, all that noise, call that flight of the water voice. Sit down, sway to the kid, don't hop on the fence, play to the radio.
run away. Who have been wide don't walk in the space. One little martyr who talk in the space makes one little weatherman sharp in a blade. Thank <laughs> you. 
What's this fucking guy doing? What are you doing? Right now, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. What changed him? What changed him? Cup. Oh, can you play it? Put the other guitar in? I like this one now. What is that weirdo with the fucking kazoo? Hey. Sharks in a dunk tank, vipers in a garden. Locus stole the groceries out the local farmer's market. Oh, God's greatest opposition. Some are violent, some are victims. Each alive is an equal and vital piston I support. So when the piranhas on in New York, my daddy long legs dangled and mangled for sport. And while I bring in every dink in the kingdom with open wings, it all boils down to them shit-soaked pigs. The pig, what? The pig, what? The dregs of what y'all aim for. Gluttonous muddy stomachs under the pudgy cake hole. Two track brainiac using the food and payroll. That chew up and consume every cookie from it peso. And place a globe and hoof on a lucrative one convenient as the bourbon odor smokers cough smolder off the goeba. If Noah had the benefit of hindsight on his ship, he could have snatched two unicorns and left behind the motherfucking pigs. Goddamn pigs. Pop belly pigs. Punch drunk pigs. Take money, money pigs. Loud mouth pigs. White load pigs. Let's make a deal. When all the wolves and woolly wigs have puffed and puffed and blew the bricks, the skulls of Brooklyn's coolest pigs will rain up bolts and it was kicks. This mulish swine of all surrounding counties stiffed the gruesomeness. We passed around a pineapple to pull the pins in unison. I will gladly feed you to the breeder once you sacrificed. No pagan or sacrilege. Just bacon for scavengers. I will gladly seat you with the chickens, not the passengers. Hopefully the crack in his armor spreads to his avarice. Never that. Wilbur's multiplock were getting triples and hunted triples and fistfuls. But it was all bells and whistles. Bougie this and bougie that. War pick a pussycat. Glitzy to the pork ribs. Had to gold leaf the booby traps. Powder pink double-breasted mess. The mud and money waddle off the fire to make a stubborn tummy roggle. I'm well, I don't really know the work of details of your tribes. I know that that's one ugly fucking tie. Asshole pigs. Goddamn pigs. Pop belly pigs. Punch drunk pigs. Sick money money pigs. Loud mouth pigs. Wide load pigs. Let's make a deal. Apple in his mouth. Maraschino eyes. Party like the butcher boys. Cleaver is alive. I'm mosey on a 16 hours of smoke in the misty winter. See the county fair's blue ribbon winner is dinner. The dance until the sun has kissed your blisters in the morning as the misery was dormant and divvied in crispy portions. Corporates want to lure him and whore him. Or does he hoard a corporates to expand him more important forms for him? Push the mortar pestle past the ordinary orchard when the frilly borders faded as the product minor yours, pig. Mine. Plus I toss the token where I go Directly to the worms who shovel shit in yellow snow This little piggy went to the market with a target And will subsequently know the armor-piercing forks of farmers Final words for the finer birds taking notes I dig a chicken pig zills, that's all folks Pigs, goddamn pigs Pop belly pigs, punch drunk pigs Sick money money pigs, loud mouth pigs White load pigs, let's make a deal Thank you.